The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Redskins looking to come from behind against the Raiders. This for the win. The Redskins, in overtime, have defeated the Ravens. That's how it ended eight years ago, the last time the Ravens played at FedEx Field. It was one of those games that's hard to forget as Washington won it 31-28 in overtime. Of course, the memorable play from that game back in 2012 was the Haloti Nada hit on Robert Griffin III that started really the downfall of that particular brief, fleeting, meteoric rise and moment in franchise history. Uh, it's a Friday. It's a football Friday. I'm here. Cooley is joining us as well. He was there that day. Um, what do you remember about that day in that game? And that your stepson was really, really good. <laughs> you didn't play at all. My stepson didn't play at all. Not me. Oh, Kirk. Oh, you remember? Well, remember the woman at that hotel in New York who thought that I was your son, um, that you were my you son, were my excuse father. me. Yeah, and that I was your father, um, which, you know, we, we put her at ease pretty quickly. I told her, no, there's not that much of a difference. Certainly um, maturity, there's a difference, uh, but everything else is, is much closer than you would think. Anyway, so my stepson, Kirk Cousins, that's what you remember from that game, Kirk coming in and playing well? What's funny is when you look back at the stats of that game, I remember Kirk coming in and playing really well. I think he completed like two throws. Yep, that's <laughs> they were it. Both huge. I mean, they were just both big throws. Yeah, they were. No, we were all at that point. Everyone was excited for Kirk. Nobody thought Kirk was in there to take a job. It, we, Kirk was just this fun-loving guy that yelled, "You like that?" When he completed throws and <laughs> no, he practice, or <laughs> booyah. No, he yelled booyah every time he completed booyah. And uh, what, was, what was the other thing Kirk did that was funny when it came in? Uh, any huddle, when you started the huddle, yeah, a normal quarterback would get in and say, all right, we got double right, 18 outside. Kirk would start with team, double right, 18. <laughs> He'd always start with team. Like he was addressing the huddle. It's a team. Well, let's so, move off of, of Kirk so because that, people that, are going to think we're old. sucking up to Kirk, which is typically my move, and I understand that. But this was yeah. – he came in and he threw the touchdown pass to Garcon and had the quarterback draw on the two-point conversion after Griffin got hurt. But the the thing about that ending is after Nada knocked Griffin out of the game, remember Griffin came back in. 
He came back in despite the fact that he had not been cleared. And Shanahan was sort of blamed for it. But Shanahan said, Andrews is over there. I'm coaching the game. Andrews just you know, put his hands up and, and as if to say, I don't know, I guess it's all right that he goes back in. And then Griffin got injured again. He was hobbling around. And they won the game. Richard Crawford's punt return in overtime. I really remember that in particular that set up the game-winning field goal by Forbath that we played coming into the show. But it was um, it was the fourth win in a row. Remember, coming off the bye week when Shanahan essentially, you know, at least publicly said that, you know, we're going to start playing to see who wants to be on this team next year. Um, you came out of that bye week. You guys smoked Philadelphia. You smoked – you beat Dallas on Thanksgiving Day. You beat the Giants. And then the Ravens were 9-3 and three on that day coming in. But you guys were back in the hunt for first place in the playoffs, which was amazing. And you pulled off that win, and then the next week was the Cleveland game. You know, we've we, we've all documented that many times. Griffin working out before, convincing Snyder that he could play. Snyder going to Shanahan saying, Robert's ready to play. Mike saying to, to Dan, well, he's not playing. He wasn't cleared by the doctors. You know, and, and, and Snyder pleading, and, and Griffin then really uh, distressed that Shanahan wouldn't play him that day, so much so that after a win and an impress, impressive performance by Cousins, Griffin held his own press conference after a game he didn't play in. And we should have known then that something was up. Um, We wouldn't find out about all the shit that was going on behind the scenes until much later. Um, But uh, he came back the following week. week, You guys went to the playoffs, and then obviously the Seattle game is the – is the game that everybody remembers from from that year. But that Baltimore game was incredible. It was such a great and entertaining game. I was saying this morning, Cooley, it was damp. It was December. There was a fog rolling in at the end of a 1 o'clock game as it's starting to get dark. And it was just uh, – it was a big win. It was a huge win. Yeah, it, it was a big win. In all fairness, Kevin, that was a great season for a lot of Redskins fans. That was an awful season for me. I know. I hated it. And and looking back, it was it was selfish to look back on it in the way, the way I am now. But but I do, you know, I I had got released early in that season. Fred Davis got hurt. I signed again, and I thought I was going to be playing. And no one would really tell me why they wouldn't play me. And so I just rode the bench, man. Yeah, it was it was a hard season for me to sit and watch. Obviously, I didn't. I wasn't the same. I mean, if I was, they would have played me, but I didn't even get a chance to be in games. I, I didn't. So me looking back, I just look back week in and week out. Think I remember certain weeks where I was like, today's going to be the best practice squad day, the best look squad day of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really hard. That was a hard year for me. You played statistically. It says you played in nine games. You had one reception for eight yards. It's just in general, a tough year. Kevin, I can self-loathe all I want. Not happy looking back on it now. I was very upset with it when it was. And so for me to be in the moment with the team, it just didn't quite exist for me that year. I can imagine on most teams when guys, especially veteran players, that came back with the expectation of playing and you're not, It's it's got to be frustrating. I mean, you know, you, you and I have talked about this over the years. Like, this whole idea that everybody's, you know, team first. I mean, that's a nice, you know, uh, nice 
pleasant way to think about the world and about sports, but we all know this. Like if you're in a company and the company's having success, but you're not contributing at the level that you want to, I mean, you're not completely happy. You're, it's, it's only a, it's a human reaction. Um, but you know, one of the things that you did say to me about that year, and you've said to me in the past is you did, you know, enjoy watching the Shanahan's put together that offense for Griffin. Well, I appreciated it. Yeah. And, um, I was certainly impressed by it. And at that point in my career, I was enamored with football and scheme. And so I was very interested and involved in all the meetings and everything we were doing. Like I wasn't, I didn't check out by any means. I went and practiced hard. I mean, I, I went and said, I'm going to have the best day of practice ever. But by by Sunday, I was not a happy guy. Right. And then, then you look the next after the game. It was like, okay, well, let's uh, let's go home. I don't even know if I need to shower today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here was the hardest thing for me because I'm a pretty aware person. I knew that after the injury, getting cut, getting signed back, and then them not playing me when they essentially looked like they had to have me, just showed every other team in the NFL that I was done. Right. Now some more to that i'm glad that i was done after that and i didn't want to be i wanted to play i wanted to come back after it i but there i'd probably i'd probably have a new knee if i'd played two more years right well your knees so, your knees still not right no i had like an arthritis attack yesterday or something or two days ago i can't even hardly walk right now it's oh, weird that's lovely all right um Go away. All right, let's get to uh, – we're going to get to Washington beats Baltimore if here in one moment. I just wanted to mention one thing. I know you did not watch the Thursday night game, and maybe a lot of you that are listening didn't watch it. But there was a moment at the end of the game that uh, if Ron Rivera were watching – and Ron Rivera, by the way, not – you know, he missed practice yesterday or left practice early. Del Rio saying he does expect Rivera to coach on Sunday, but he went – uh, he was feeling the effects of a chemo uh, treatment, so we certainly wish uh, Coach well. But at the end of the game, Cooley, I'll give you the I'll give you the quick sort of setup. All right, the the uh, Broncos are up thirty-seven to twenty-eight. Um, the Jets have the ball with a minute forty-eight to go, um, and they've got three timeouts left, and they're down nine points. Um, they had actually failed at midfield before the touchdown in a, in a two-point game. They did have the, the lead at one point in the fourth quarter. Anyway, they go four and, and out, all right, and they turn the ball over to Denver after using one of their timeouts with a minute three left in the game. Denver's got the ball in jet territory up 37-28, to 28, one minute, three seconds left in the game. The Jets have two timeouts left. Now, the Jets were intent on calling the timeouts, their final two timeouts, even though if you do the quick math on this, a couple of kneel downs and a couple of timeouts and then 40 seconds, the best that the Jets will do is get the ball back with about 13 to 14 seconds left in the game, needing two scores. I've seen many teams bail at that point. And it would be fine if they had bailed at that point because, really, you're talking about the miracle of all miracles to get the ball back with 13 seconds left and needing to score twice from 70 yards out. Anyway, 
So Brett Rippon kneels. Jets call a timeout with 59 seconds left. Second down. Brett Rippon takes a, uh, a knee, and the Jets use their final timeout. There are now 57 seconds left. Third down. Brett Rippon takes a knee, and as I just described, um, they end up taking a delay of game before their fourth down snap. The Jets didn't have any timeouts left after that with 13 seconds left. Now, on this fourth down, Vic Fangio decides to tell his offense to try to burn the 13 seconds by dropping Rippin back and having him throw a deep ball down the right sideline that isn't, you know, they're not trying to score. It's going to go out of bounds, but it'll lead up, you know, six, seven seconds, and then the Jets will have one play. Personally, I think one more knee, you know, maybe a couple of steps back, kneel down with nine, eight seconds left, and it's over anyway. The Jets would have to score in less than eight seconds and then recover an onside kick with a 15-yard penalty uh, to extend the game to have a chance for a field goal. Like, I mean, something that's never happened before. Anyway, um, by taking, by dropping back and throwing, ripping throws a ball, there was a defensive offside uh, play and so now there are seven seconds left, and it's fourth down again. And he drops Rippin back again with seven seconds left. Now one more knee is game. Even if the Jets score on the final play of the game, it's over. But he drops Rippin back again and has him throw a deep ball down the right sideline. And Greg Williams clearly instructed his defense to go after Rippin and knock his block off. That was such a, a boomer uh, way of describing it. Um, block off. <laughs> yeah. So, so McClendon comes in, goes helmet to helmet with Rippon. Fifteen yard penalty. Three seconds left in the game. Um, Fangio is incensed. Rippon takes a, a, a knee on the first down play after the fifteen yard penalty, and Fangio instructs his team not to shake hands and to go off the field. And he's pointing at Adam Gase on his way off the field, like "you asshole" for doing what you did. Well, to be honest with you, I, I think Fangio was an idiot for dropping Rippon back, especially with seven seconds to go. Like that was stupid too. So I put some of the blame on him um, for allowing that to happen, but. Um, you know, the Jets with really the miracle of all miracles is a possibility with 57 seconds left. They were still taking timeouts. And I was thinking last night, Rivera's probably saying, see, that's why you don't call timeouts because you could end up getting somebody hurt like with a late hit and the game can turn ugly. Well, the, the, it's an apples to oranges comparison. Um, but anyway, that's how the game ended last night. I saw the ending of the game and then I saw Adam Gaze afterwards and, Ultimately, Gaze is right now not in an R&D mode. <laughs> no. He's in a SYJ mode. Yeah. So any possible chance of winning the game that they played pretty well in and they scored some points against the Broncos, they got to try to win a game. Yeah, agreed. I, I, the Jets came out and said there's, you know, they're not planning on firing Gaze anytime soon, whatever. Uh if you look at it, Greg Williams did a great job taking over in Cleveland a couple years ago. I, I would like Greg Williams to take over right now. Me too. If I was the totally he would agree. take over right now. And if there was any chance to save any kind of a season, which is probably not, but you never know in that division. Well, the what do you mean in that division? Really, what do you mean? The Titans and Colts both look really good. No, the, but, jet, the Jets oh, no, are no, in no, the sorry, East. Why am yeah. I thinking the Jets are – Yeah. still waking up here. Yeah, it's okay. 930. Um, Wyoming. 
No, that division, they're out of it. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. All right, last um, – Bill's Nats, the Jets are done. Last thing before we get to Washington uh, wins if. Um, J.P. Finley um, wrote a story this morning that he's got sources that tell him that Ron Rivera and some other Washington football coaches met with Dwayne Haskins this week to make clear that he understands he needs to play better or things could soon change. What do you make of that? This sort of goes hand in hand with the Monday morning wake up. He's looked at tape of Dwayne. He's looked at tape of the defense. He's checked out the standings. Here's the first thing I make out of it. Ron Rivera has been brought in to change the culture. And in one of the biggest things with the culture is leaking inside things to the media. Yep. <laughs> so Rivera fires a lot of people who he thinks possibly could, could possibly leak things. He's proud to make all these changes where it's going to be team. It's going to be inside. And in week three, we now have two reports on what's going on with Dwayne Haskins. And all credit to JP. I have no problem with what JP is doing. But that meeting that happened with Dwayne Haskins, in my opinion, is a stays in this building meeting. Yeah. Period. I, so I, I that's to me – something that I would put on the coaching staff that should never, ever, ever come out unless it was Dwayne. And then, then they have to talk to Dwayne about it, which I doubt it was because why would Dwayne want to share that information unless it was Dwayne, man, that was what they came here and said they wouldn't do. It's a really good point. Do you know, yesterday, Tommy and I had a conversation where I said to Tommy, you know, one of the things that I've really, and it was off of talking about Haskins presser on Wednesday and how I thought, you know, he handled himself pretty well. And I said, look, there's a bit of a culture change going on that we can identify right now. And that is we haven't, there haven't been leaks. You know, there's been a public challenging of Dwayne in the summer with, you know, the leadership from the coach and, you know, a bit of a public challenging, but there haven't been leaks this year. And and that's, a good thing and here we go 24 hours after mentioning that to Tommy you've got you've got a leak on this and to your point this is a total stays here doesn't leave the building conversation unless Cooley unless you buy the conversation that Ron Rivera shared with somebody I'm forgetting who Tommy brought it up to me yesterday and I do remember it where Rivera said he talked to Urban Meyer at one point, and Urban Meyer said the way to get through to Dwayne is to publicly challenge him. But this is not – if he wanted to publicly challenge him, he could have publicly said it himself rather than having it leaked. And to me, that's a that's a difference because it the coaches met with Dwayne, so you're assuming it's Scott Turner and Ron Rivera and – whoever else on offense, maybe three guys. So yeah. who, who talked to JP Finley? I, I, I have no idea. And now you leave it arbitrary to who maybe discussed that meeting. I'm with you. If you stand up as the head coach, or if you let Scott Turner stand up in his presser as the offensive coordinator and say, nothing's for sure here. We are about competition and we need Dwayne to play better. Then it's not a leak. If the, if, I mean, I guess it's not that far from from that, but if you want publicly challenged, don't make them read a story that says it was discussed in a meeting. That just 
just hurts trust. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. Uh, you know what they this this report essentially creates the fan and media countdown on Dwayne. Maybe, and if that was done specifically for that purpose, well, they they've achieved it. Because now we know that there that things could change soon. Well, the other part of this in the what they construe as the constructive part is maybe Dwayne doesn't know that he needs to play better, unless they say it publicly. Now I disagree with how they said it publicly because I would just say it as the coach. But maybe they left that meeting and he continued to say, "Look, I did do a bunch of really good things in the game. I I, I got the bat though. No problem on that. I got I get it. But I did so many good things. I am getting better." And they're like, uh, nope, nope. The bad we got to talk about more. The good was limited. The bad we got to maybe that was their only outlet. Again, I disagree with the way they used the outlet, but you think about that as it is. I'm I'm with them. I just I understand that you might have a, a moment here in the next two weeks where you have to go win this division. But they're gonna be one and four after Sunday. Or one and three. One and three, yeah. And if Dallas were to f- really flounder then it becomes interesting they're probably going to be one and four after they play the rams and then you get a game with the giants that to me is his last opportunity if he doesn't play well and you lose to the giants um all right but then at that point you're sitting there saying didn't play well we lost the giants we're we're one of five what are we really doing here let's let's let him keep rolling yeah i just I, i i literally uh, it's 24 hours ago I was complimenting the organization on no leaks this year. And I don't know what the goal was here, and I don't know if there was a goal, um, but I think this is not good. This isn't good. You know, uh, look, it's possible that we were in countdown mode anyway on Dwayne. Some, some people were, but this just makes it official in my view. I still believed, and I think you did until until this point. I even still believe now because I just don't see him as a playoff team. And even if they are, unless he gets dynamically better throughout the year, and that's the only way they could win a game in the playoffs. I just, I, to me, it's is he the centerpiece of the offense or not? And can we find that out in four, five, six games? Because I don't think you can. <sighs> I, it's going to be interesting because you know what? On on Sunday, my expectation is now that if they're down 23 to 14 with two and a half minutes to go and Baltimore's facing a third nine and the clock's running, they'll call timeout. I think he'll do it this Sunday. I think you're going to see more of an urgency to try to win the game. If they probably won't have that opportunity. I'm just saying if they do. Well, if he understands in any way, shape, or form that he's got to go win this division, and he does because he discussed it, then you got to find a way to hopefully win a game at the end of a game. Yeah. you got to hope, hopefully pull one out. And for everything that we've criticized Dwayne about, he, he doesn't have any quit. He gets better when his back's against the wall. I agree with that. I, I'm I, not going to say that he becomes Joe Montana when no, his back's against no, the wall. But for... he makes more throws when his back's against the wall. He has since the first game that he played here. Right. All right, uh, let's get to Washington wins if right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, Sunday, 1 p.m., FedEx Field. Uh, Baltimore, by the way, Cooley now a 14-point favorite. It shot up yesterday for some reason. Uh, I'm assuming pretty sharp money on the Ravens to bounce back off that Monday night loss to the Chiefs and pound Washington on Sunday, especially given that, you know, Ioannidis is gone for the year. More likely than not, no Chase Young. By the way, Terry McLaurin ended up on the injury report yesterday with a thigh. He had limited participation in practice. But let's get started. Washington wins if. Go ahead. Uh, they score on defense. <laughs> they score on defense, okay. Lamar Jackson fumbles or throws a pick, and they end up scoring on defense. And in part, I still think that you give up less than – you give up 24 points or less and score on defense. So you, you create a number where the offense has to score 17 points. To me – that's it. If you can hold Baltimore to 17, which I don't, I think it's going to be really tough. They're a team that scores 30 points a game. Yeah. They're an explosive offensive team. They can make any play anywhere on the field with the dynamic offense. But I think if you hold them to 24 and score on defense, to me, that's a chance for them to win a ball game. All right. My first one is Washington wins, pulls a massive upset off. Um, if they slow down Baltimore's rush attack. Uh, I thought, and you made the point, that they did a pretty good job on first down. This is a team in Baltimore last year, not as much this year, but we know that how capable they are 
of running the football dynamically with a lot of zone read, a lot of quarterback runs, and their chunk runs too, man, with Ingram and Edwards and now um, also with J.K. Dobbins. And there's a lot of second and twos. There's there's a lot of you know second and threes. It's got to be second and six, second and seven. They've got to have some opportunity to put them into third down and throwing situations. It's the only way you're going to get Baltimore off the field is to make him feel like he's got to throw from the pocket on third and eight. I don't think it's possible that they can do it. I am excited and very intrigued by the matchup because I do believe in this defensive front. Now, it won't have Chase Young, but whether it's this year or next year or the year after, I think it's going to end up being a dominant run-stopping and pass-rushing defensive front. And I'm, I'm excited about watching you know, it evolve here over the next year to three years. Um, I, I thought they did a good job against Kyler Murray at times early in the game. I think they did a good job against Chubb and Hunt on first downs early in the game. I think there were plays made by Allen and Payne and 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 in the in the front four where you saw guys get swallowed up at the line of scrimmage and there wasn't much running room. Now eventually Cleveland wore them down. Eventually the eighty plays in Arizona wore Washington. Uh, Washington's defense down, but Baltimore averages 5.7 yards per carry. And before the game last week, Cleveland averaged, you know, in the five, in the high fives per carry as well. If, you know, do the math at 5.7 yards per carry, if they reach their average, they're just going to run it right down their throat and it's going to be 38 to 10. So they have to slow down Baltimore's rush attack, especially in early downs, first down situations situation so that you create the opportunity potentially for Baltimore to have third in a throwing situation. Uh, If you don't stop the run, if you don't slow it down, you've got no chance in this game. What's next for you? Well, as as a part of that, Baltimore really has the best backfield in the NFL. Because of the quarterback. Because of the quarterback, who has 32 carries through three games. He's (laughs) averaging over 10 carries a game. 10. Yeah. You know who their leading rusher is? It's Lamar Jackson. He averages 5.6 yards per carry. He's got like 180 yards. Ingram is still at 4.4. And J.K. Dobbins is a good player. They're the best backfield in the NFL. Gus, Gus Edwards is averaging 7.2 yards per carry. Yeah. They have, and Gus Edwards is there. Dobbins is averaging 7.6 yards per carry. Jackson's averaging 5.7. And Ingram, who's got um, the uh, second most attempts behind Jackson is averaging 4.4 yards per carry, which, by the way, is a pretty damn good average. Let's call it a really, really good average. Yeah. Uh, but you, if you can stop to run a little bit, you can, Lamar Jackson's getting sacked, man. Yes. In sacks per pass attempt, he's almost at 13%. 13%. Other than... I think Deshaun Watson, he's been sacked more times per pass attempt by a large margin. Like the average across the league is like six at best. Right. Right. The the average around six at best. Aaron Rodgers is sacked 2% per drop back. So yeah, you can stop the run a little bit and get after him. It's huge. I think, having no chase young really will impact this game it's crazy we're 
four games in and we're talking about a rookie. Right. But having no Chase Young in some of these situations is going to be is going to be huge because you got to change your rush. You got to change the way you're getting after it. Having no Ionitis is going to be huge. I think that's why the line shot up so much this week, and that's why it's 14 instead of 10. It ra- those- it rarely jumps up because of a defensive player. Cool. Well, yeah, but rarely. Two, two of your best players uh, on your I, team. I, I are get out it. This week. I get it. I, I just and those are the two players that ch- would change the game for you. Yeah, I'm just telling you that the line doesn't jump. It, it, it was 13, it went down to 12, now it's back to 14. It's just sharp money right now. It's uh, Look, the sharp money might be there because they realize the significance of Chase Young, but an odds maker isn't going to drop, increase the line because Chase Young is out. Quarterbacks do that, and real truly elite players do it. Um, I don't think anybody's viewing Chase Young at this point as truly elite, even though I think you know some of us believe that that's where he's headed. Washington wins if they score when they get in the red zone. That that was critical for them in the Philadelphia game, and that's what gave them a chance to win the ball game. They've made mistakes in the last couple games down in the red zone. They haven't finished drives. If they can score in the red zone. I think they have a pretty good opportunity. To you know, me, that that's that's going to be massive. Baltimore is actually not the best in the red zone on defense. They give it, they give up a score eighty three percent of the time. So and they don't give up a ton of points. They don't give up a bunch of big plays. They're stout on defense, but you get down in the red zone, or you get a pick, or you get a turnover, and you're inside. And let's call it even inside the thirty. If they get inside the thirty or the thirty five, it's it's must score. And inside the twenty five, it's must score touchdown. That, that to me, they have to find a way offensively to score at least 17 points. Do you, at know, least. you score less than 17 on offense, which means you're not scoring touchdowns down there. I, I don't think you can win. Um, it's interesting. Do you know that Washington's 11th in the league in red zone uh, offense right now in terms of touchdowns in the red zone? They're 11th in the league right now. And I'm looking up Baltimore's red zone defense Baltimore's red zone defense right now is 30th in the league. Interesting. Uh, You just hit on something I didn't even think about. That's a matchup, at least through three weeks, of a strength versus a weakness. Now, I look at Baltimore's defense, and I would bet that Kansas City, um, even though they scored from distance in that game on Monday night, I'd have to go back and look uh, again to see what uh, Kansas City was in the red zone. But... um, Washington's actually been pretty good in the red zone offensively. The Chiefs on on Monday night in the red zone were three for three. Yeah, so the Chiefs were three for three against the Ravens. So Ravens are 30th uh, in red zone defense, and Washington's 11th in red zone offense. Washington it changes a lot of the numbers in three games when for your defense when you play Kansas City. You know, is it of course plays out they're like, they're middle of the pack in a lot of defensive categories, but Kansas City put up a boatload of yards and points. Yeah, just like your defensive numbers would be pretty good if you had Washington as one of your first three yeah, opponents. So, the, that, Arizona, so yeah, that leads me to this: um, Washington beats Baltimore if they shorten the game. And when I say shorten the game, you know what it means, but I'm, I'm going to add um, something to this because they need the best defense often is a really good offense and a ball control offense. And I don't know the best way for them to control the ball. I have a feeling Haskins is going to have to make some throws in this game, but Washington right now is dead last in average yards 
per drive. They're averaging 23.27 yards per offensive drive, 32nd in the league, and it's actually not even close. The Jets are 31st in the league, and they're averaging two and a half yards more per drive. That's big statistically. Um, so Washington is not moving the football. You know, the, the points have come on short fields. Their average starting field position has been pretty good. Um, and we remember from the Philadelphia game, they had multiple drives start in Philadelphia territory. They have to possess the ball more. They have to move the football and keep it away from Lamar Jackson as much as they can. You know, not to mention that more yards per drive gives you know increases the possibility of it re- at least reaching scoring poten- uh, position um, but they, they have to be better um, in this area you know they are 31st in plays per drive 32nd in drives per drive uh, per drive and they are 30th in time of possession um, so they really I think have to shorten the game with the ball in their hands. Um, and I don't. I I think their best way to do it against Baltimore isn't going to be to run the football against the Ravens. I think that's difficult. Even though Cleveland did it to a certain degree, Houston did not do it. Um, I, I think Dwayne's going to have to make some plays, and they're going to have to figure out a way to keep the ball. What's your next one? Well, in part to that, it's like Terry McLaurin's averaging almost yards after catch, twelve yards after catch, right. Let's get the ball in the hands of the receivers and get them going. You know, I see Sims Jr. I think has been completely underused on offense, and clearly someone would tell me why if they were in that building because there's 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 an obvious reason. I mean, he'd be playing more, catching more. Well, balls, he's but. been hurt and he hasn't practiced this week, and and last week he was limited in practice for a few days, so that may be part of the reason. I, I mean, that may be part of the reason for sure. But you know, even early on, he didn't have nearly as many touches as I would have expected. We, he got a lot of hype going into this season. You're really, right. For a guy that played well for five games last year. I, and I didn't think it was wrong, but they didn't use him early. He hasn't been an impact. Who else is getting yards? Like McKissick. Okay, you got to run the you, – you said you don't have to run the ball. The Redskins win if they can run the ball. The, not the Redskins. I didn't Washington. say they – I didn't say they, they, they shouldn't run the ball. I'm just not sure they're going to have a success against Baltimore I would agree. running the ball. Baltimore's still giving up four yards a carry. Yeah. You got to remain resilient with your run calls. You're going to have to stay balanced and you're going to have to be able to run the ball and you're going to have to be able to run the ball and gain yards. I think their offensive line has done a pretty good job through the first three weeks. I know you in, in running the ball. I think they've done a pretty good job. Now they're only averaging like three yards per carry, but they've taken some negative carries and they haven't run the ball as much as they need to. They've had more four and five yard runs than I would have expected them to this year. Nine, eight, nine, 10 yard runs. Gibson and McKissick are doing a pretty good job. To me, both of those guys need 15 touches in the game. Well, at least. Between the two of them, at least 30 touches. And I'm guessing you'd be around at least 12 runs apiece if you want to win this game. And it might be more. But if you want to shorten the game, you got to be able to run the ball a little bit. And maybe even in third down situations, don't be afraid to run the ball on third and four. Because we haven't been converting those. Have you watched um, – I forget how you evaluated Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU, Baltimore's first-round pick, because he's played very well as, as one of their inside linebackers. Do you remember how your evaluation of Patrick Queen? I, I really liked Patrick Queen because I thought he had a lot of speed. Yeah. I, I thought he, he could – I like that 
I mean, that was a good defense for them last year. As far as it goes this year, I don't think he's played very well for Baltimore. Really? He, no, I think he's been exposed. I think people have been able to throw behind him. I, I think he's been okay. I watched I watched some of that Houston game, and he was a tackling machine. Yeah, it, there are times when he, he tackles well, but in coverage, he's really struggled this year. That, that's indicative of a lot of young linebackers. But it, I said this against Arizona. You're going to have to create matchups in the pass game against linebackers. I just don't know if we have the players to do that. Last thing for me, Washington beats Baltimore. Obviously, this is, you know, typical keys to the game cliche. Um, they, they, they have to be plus two or better against the Ravens to even have a chance. If they do what they did Sunday against the Browns, there's no chance they're going to be up 20 to 17 in the fourth quarter with two mm-hmm. to three turnovers at that point and, and down in that in that category. It's it's 40 it's 44 to six if they are minus five in the turnover margin. Um, they've got to be plus two or better. I think this is one of those games that if you don't get some breaks, not only with turnovers for short fields, as you said, a defensive score would be great, but you need a couple of those phantom penalties that take a first and in, in, in 10-, 16-yard run and make it first and 20 instead, um, which makes it harder to overcome and move the sticks and keep the ball. You're going to need at least one or two of those. This is a big chore. Baltimore is the biggest favorite of any NFL team so far through four four weeks in the season, and there's a reason for it. Um, I, I I see plus two, and then you need one or two of those. Really, he was holding uh, against them, <laughs> against them that sets up second and twenty instead of you know a first down play. No doubt, you're going to need some calls. Yeah, you're, you're going to need, need some, some luck in this game. Yeah, you're gonna need some luck in this. You're game. gonna need some luck in this ball game. They're they're outmatched. What else do you have? Washington beats Baltimore. If I, it's really hard for me to play this game this week with you. Why? Because <laughs> they're not gonna win. <laughs> imagine if they did, though. Imagine It'd be fun. If, imagine if Monday we are talking about a shocking upset win over Baltimore. Ima- just just play along here for a second because it's not going to happen. I don't think it'll happen. But if it did, and these things do happen in the NFL every once in a while. In fact, they happen more than just every once in a while. And I think I think I told you this on 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 Wednesday. I think this team is much more capable than any team in the last couple of years for this franchise of pulling off you know something big and totally unexpected. If it happened, first of all, our fan base would lose its collective mind. Secondly, the national guys would start talking about Washington being a legitimate contender in the NFC East, especially if Dwayne played well. And by the way, it'd be impossible for them to beat the Ravens without him playing well, unless the Ravens just completely soil themselves for 60 minutes. So there there you go. There's our biggest Washington wins if. Washington wins if the little media storm this week with the coaches – because remember last week it was, well, there's a lot of noise. We hear, we hear all the noise, blah, 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 blah. Shut up, Chris Cooley. Um, changed from we hear all the noise to we'll make the noise. And maybe in this week he hears it, starts hot. They get the ball, opening possession. He goes four for four. They go down the field. They score a touchdown. Baltimore turns it over early. And you get up 14-0. And you're like, oh, here we go. 
here we go. And Dwayne stays hot throughout the game. Washington wins if Dwayne gets hot and stays hot and plays confident. It makes throws. Let, let me let, let me amend that from my standpoint. Washington has a chance to win if Dwayne has three of those drives where he's hot, like he did against Arizona, like he did against Cleveland, where he's got three to four drives where he really executes. Now the so other like drives have point on offense theory. Yeah, the other drives have to end in punt, not turnover. Let me make that sure. clear too. But if he has, you know, three or to four of those, you know, empty set, quick game, slants, big plays, and you know, a touch, a couple of touchdown throws in the red zone, and he and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't fall apart with turnovers on the other drives. They end up with punts on the others, or maybe a fourth down miss or something turnover, you know, in Baltimore territory. Then they've got a shot. They, they, they would be in the game. And and you know what, Cooley, through three games, he's had three drives in each of these games where he's looked more than competent. Yeah, he needs six of those drives. <laughs> Why six? Because you said if we get a defensive touchdown, they just need uh, 17 points. That would, be th- that would be three. Well, I think that you need three other drives where you take the ball to midfield. Or you have a 30-yard drive, and you get close to field goal range. And yet, Rather maybe than three you can and go out punts. Yeah, right. True. But, you, yeah, you can't have three and out punts and give Baltimore the ball in good field position. He needs, he needs more than three competent drives against this team. All right. We will um, make predictions. Do you have another Washington wins if? Did you have anything else on this game? No, I think we I think we did a pretty I good job. I think we covered it. Uh, we'll save our predictions for uh, a little bit uh, down the road here. Um, I want to get to my smell test right after this word from one of our sponsors. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell test. test. All right, the smell test uh, this week, if you even want it, um, for those of you that have been following it and wagering based on the recommendations, um, I'm going to give it to you, and I've got a lot of plays this week. And I mentioned earlier in the radio show, Cooley, that there's a thing in gambling called chase mode, and it's really a bad thing, but everybody that has ever gambled has experienced chase mode, which is you're on a losing streak, and you just start chasing 
You know, you start chasing with bets that you normally wouldn't make. Um, it's a Monday nighter, and you're down a bunch of money, and you got to settle up on Tuesday, and you don't even like the game, but you bet it anyway, and you're chasing that lost money. And, and that's really when things get ugly as a gambler. Anyone will tell you that. I don't feel like I'm in chase mode on, you know, October 2nd. I'm 6-14-2 on the year. It's a terrible start to the year. I was 4-5 and five last week, which was the best weekend of the year so far that got me to 6-14-2, and two, eight games under 500. I will remind everybody that I was 26 games above 500 mid-October last year and ended up losing for the year. So, you know, th- these things come in waves. But someone's going to, I guarantee you, will send me a tweet that will say, oh my God, Sheehan, you're in chase mode. I mean, you gave out how many games? You gave out 12 games this week. You're in chase mode after getting your ass kicked for the first month of the season. No, these are actually games that I like that fit the smell test contrarian you know, formula of very much anti-public plays along with some sharp money to back it up. Let's start with so, Saturday. Hold on one second, though. Hold yeah. on one second. Yeah? You don't stop doubling down on 11. No, you do Exactly. That's a much it, better it, way it, to it put it. Double down on eleven. You you don't you don't start staying on sixteens. No, you, you you play the odds. You play the percentages. I know you as, and I we I've been listening to this forever. <laughs> you have been listening to it for several years now. Yes, you, you don't you don't quit playing. I know you well enough to know that if there were only three games to play, you would play three games. If there are twelve, you would play twelve. My only concern about the smell test today, I'm just going to lay it out there flat as could be. <laughs> you told me you woke up at 2.30, and you're tired. And I'm just <laughs> questioning. Like you, you've been on a bender. It's not just that you people might think you're chasing. You've been up all night playing. I did wake up very early this morning. I had a lot to do to get prepared for the radio show that I did not prepare for last night. And I woke up, and I, and I looked at my phone, and I saw the, the breaking news on, on Trump and, and the First Lady with COVID-19. And so I turned the TV on, and then that was trouble. But I don't think that has anything to do with it because I finished the smell test last night. Okay. Okay. Um, but your, by, by the way, your analogy is ex- the exact analogy that Scott uh, Van Pelt always gives with his, you know, winners that he does on his show, which is you don't stop doubling down on eleven. You know, you don't stop. You, you don't all of a sudden stop hitting sixteen against a nine. You just can't do that. You got to play the right way. If you play the right way and you trust in your philosophy and your system, it will eventually you know, turn around and turn in the right direction. Now, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to win, but as I've mentioned before, 10 out of 14 years have been winning years. All right, let's get started here because I, I, I got a lot of games to get through. Uh, let's start tomorrow. West Virginia plays Baylor in Morgantown. West Virginia was terrible last week against Oklahoma State. They couldn't move the football, couldn't score. Baylor in their first game blew out Kansas 47-14. to 14. The number is 2.5. The public loves Baylor. Give me the Mountaineers plus two and a half by the half point to get it to plus three all right um but i'm playing the covers friday lines and it's two and a half um tcu is playing texas one of the most exciting games of the football season so far was last week when texas rallied from 15 down 
calling timeouts on defense, um, and beat Texas Tech 63-56 to in overtime. I mean, it was a classic last week. TCU gave up a lot of points. Gary Patterson, such a great defensive mind, but their defense looked soft. And so people think Texas that could roll up another 60-plus against uh, TCU. The line opened at 13. It's down to 11.5. There's a lot of sharp money on the Horned Frogs. I'll take TCU plus the 11 and a half. Texas Tech was on the wrong side of that comeback against Kansas uh, last week, giving up that 15-point lead uh, late and losing in overtime 63-56. They are playing the team that upset Oklahoma last week, Kansas State. Kansas State's laying a very short number at home against Texas Tech. It's minus two and a half. Let down for K-State. Texas Tech bounces back. I like Texas Tech plus the two and a half. Um, they are an anti-public play, and there is major sharp money on Texas Tech. They're a very good offensive football team. Uh, give me Texas Tech plus the two and a half again by the half point there. Now, Ole Miss last week uh, really rolled up some points against Florida. I mean, I, I think Kyle Trask is going to be one of the front runners for the Heisman Trophy. He's one of those quarterbacks, Cooley, I picked out early to say that's good, that's a future pro. When he got in for Felipe Franks last year in Florida as the third stringer eventually he got in and then he just looked like a pro like he looks like the guy you know Sean Mannion the guy that I really liked at Oregon State who backs up Kirk in Minnesota yep. I think he's going to be a pro somewhere one day a starter one uh, somewhere one day Kyle Trask plays a lot like Mannion did in college he's a he's a drop back guy but he's a good subtle guy at extending plays he threw six touchdown passes last week against Ole Miss with that said Ole Miss scored 35 against Florida's defense. They are catching six in the Commonwealth of Kentucky uh, tomorrow. The public loves Kentucky, who played Auburn tough in week one and was ranked um, last week. I like Ole Miss plus the six in that one. One more college game, then we'll move to the pro board. Iowa State... um, Iowa State is the team that beat uh, TCU last week by rolling up 37 points. They play Oklahoma. Oklahoma had the loss, the big upset loss to K-State. Oklahoma opened at minus 10. It's down to 7. Massive sharp money on Iowa State. This is why I think people like Iowa State. Iowa State can score, and I think everybody's looked at Oklahoma's defense and says it is a terrible defense for a second straight year, and and they don't have Jalen Hurts, or they don't have Kyler Murray at quarterback. I like Iowa State plus the seven. I think Oklahoma's in for a much more difficult year than uh, people thought before they opened up as the third-ranked team in the country last week. Let's go to Sunday, where Cooley, I don't know if this has ever happened with me in the smell test. I'm giving out the same team for a third consecutive, a fourth consecutive week. Excuse me, fourth consecutive week. The Detroit Lions. They were a winner for me last week at Arizona. They're catching four and a half in the Superdome against the Saints. And they're the right side. The public loves the Saints, think they will bounce back off their loss to Green Bay. Uh, I think Mike Williams is back. I think Detroit's a good team. Detroit should have won week one against Chicago. They blew the 23-6 lead. They had the lead, a two-score lead against Green Bay before Aaron Rodgers got hot. I like Detroit plus the four-and-a-half Sunday against the Saints. The Panthers, Cooley, 
I think are a better team than people are uh, are believing. No McCaffrey last week. They went in and they beat the Chargers. I think Matt Rule, Joe Brady, and company are going to do a good job. I've always been a Bridgewater fan. He's been inconsistent. They're catching a very short number at home against Arizona, and there is sharp money on Carolina. I'll take the Panthers plus three and a half against the Cardinals. I gave out the Vikings last week as a, as a plus three home dog against uh, Tennessee. They very, very easily could have won the game outright. Kirk Cousins, by the way, leads the league in air yards attempted and air yards on completion. So Mr. Checkdown for all you, all you Kirk people, uh, he's number one in both of those categories. He is airing the ball out and throwing it deep uh, this year to the likes of Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. The problem is the Viking defense. Will it hold up against Houston, especially with a shortened practice week for Minnesota? The public doesn't think so. They're all over Houston. I'll take the Vikings plus three and a half, hopefully get them for a second straight week. This next one is dicey, but the public's all over Cincinnati laying three at home against Jacksonville. Why? Well, they tied Philadelphia last week. They took Cleveland to the brink with Burroughs' 61 you know, attempts on that Thursday night game, 35-30. They nearly beat uh, the Chargers in their opener. Um, and the Bengals are playing the Jags. I think the Jags are a capable team. I'll take the Jags plus the three. They've got the 11-day break, too, leading up to this because they played the Thursday night game a week ago against the Dolphins. Speaking of the Dolphins, just take them. Plus six at home against Seattle. That is the second biggest public play of the day, uh, Seattle. Uh, The Dolphins plus six at home against uh, the Seahawks. I like the Browns plus four and a half against Dallas. A lot of public action on Dallas. And I like the Raiders plus three against the Bills. There's a ton of action on the Bills. Let me just mention this. I nearly gave out Washington plus 14. There is a lot of public action on Baltimore, a ton. There's also some sharp action on Baltimore as well. All right, recapping. West Virginia plus two and a half. TCU plus 11.5, Texas Tech plus 2.5, Ole Miss plus 6, Iowa State plus 7 on Saturday. On Sunday, the Lions plus 4.5, the Panthers plus 3.5, the Vikings plus 3.5, the Jags plus 3, the Dolphins plus 6, the Browns plus 4.5, and the Raiders plus 3. The smell test brought to you by MyBookie. If you're looking for a place to place to play these wagers, go to mybookie.ag. By the way, they've got a great contest going right now. It's the $100,000 super contest. It only costs you a $10 entry. They're giving away $5,000 in cash prizes every 4 weeks as well. You can sign up at mybookie.ag and when you do, use my promo code KevinDC to claim your 100% deposit match all the way up to a thousand bucks. That means if you put a hundred dollars in, they'll give you another hundred dollars. It's an easy way to jumpstart your bankroll. Mybookie.ag. You can trust their lines, their pricing, and you'll get paid if you win. All right, Cooley, what's your lock of the week? It's amazing. You just just pretty much took every NFL game, which I love. I took a lot of NFL games. You're playing two hands. You're playing three hands at the casino. I, I, I'm not a two hand. I'm not a three hand player. I have played two hands many times, but I don't like to play two hands. I like to play one hand and be at a table with a lot of fun people. 
That's what I like. But go ahead. Yeah, well, you, I, I don't know. I think that it's four in the morning and there's just not a lot of people around. <laughs> it's just me. It's just me and uh, – and, and well, I was going to say something that probably would have been inappropriate, but a very nice and capable dealer, and we're having a nice conversation, and she's sharing with me, uh, you know, you're playing well, and uh, you're on a roll, and hopefully I'm getting my money back, and then giving her a big tip at the end of it, right? It's just that there's glass between you, and she's wearing a mask, and you understand about every fourth word she said, but you're, you're nodding like, uh-huh. <laughs> I, haven't, I, just did that I haven't done weekend. the glass I, thing, but you did. I play, I I played blackjack last weekend in, in Riverton, Wyoming. Oh, boy. And we had the glass in this, the, one of our dealers, great dude, wearing a mask. And he's talking the whole time. The whole time. He seems so nice. <laughs> and for a while, I'd lean all the way up to the glass, like, and he'd kind of lift his mask to, so he could tell me what he was trying to tell me. But then he'd keep talking. I'm like, I, I don't even hear a little bit. I, you're, you're on mute. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, so you and that very nice dealer are on mute, talking, nodding between masks. Yeah. Well, That's you you explained what I was going to get to, which is sometimes there is a bit of a language barrier. Um, but you know, it's when you're mask barrier, when, when you're at a, a at a card table playing blackjack and it's just you and it's four in the morning and instead of getting a 15th beer you you actually then are ordering coffee um and you know you develop a bit of a rapport uh and and you know the rapport is the game and how you're playing and and what's going on in the casino and sometimes like when you're in town for a big fight the uh the dealer wants to know if you're in town for the big fight and what you think of the big fight because when there's a big fight in Vegas Cooley everybody and every dealer and every pit boss and every marketing rep they're all talking about the fight and they all want to know what you think of the fight so there you go um and it's four in the morning and I'm hoping to just get on a bit of a roll and then cash out get a few hours of sleep and be back down for the one o'clock kicks which of course would be 10 a.m. Uh, you know, Bellagio or Win uh, or or MGM or Mandalay Bay Sportsbook time. All right, let's uh, get your lock of the week. This is one of these weeks for me where it's I like a lot of the plays. I I think that there's a lot of interesting lines this week, but I, like it's hard for a lock of the week. Like I like Chicago plus two and a half. I do too. Uh, against uh, Indy, Indy's the- been awesome. Chicago's in turmoil, but somehow they found ways in two games to have three touchdowns in the fourth quarter to, to win games that they should have lost, not just come back, but to win games. But it's like, I, I don't know. What's Nick Foles going to be? Are they way better with Nick Foles? I don't know. I like the Rams a lot against the Giants, minus 13. The Giants are horrible. I watched Sean undress Buffalo's defense. Now, they got down 28-3, to three, but this, it was the second half where he just undressed the Bills. Pulled her pants down, spanked <laughs> and And you're like – Man, he's got it going. Yeah. Um, I like New England in the Steve Zabin theory that if you ever get the Patriots on sale, that you should take the Patriots. They're way on sale this week, but they're playing the Chiefs. I um, I like the Patriots too. They, by the way, everything you're mentioning are, were leans for like Chicago. I was very close, but the action was split. I really like New England personally, but the action sort of split there. So it didn't really fit the the uh, the criteria. But go ahead. But here's the game I'm going to go with, and I like all those games. And if I were doing this, I'd, I'd I actually play don't like games. the Rams. By the way, I, I the the I I, I I you couldn't get me to it's late. Way, it's a heavy public lean. Yes, it is. 
There's no question about that. The game I like this week for my lock of the week is Green Bay minus seven. Mm. I, I know it's a public play, but Atlanta can't stop anybody. And Matt Ryan's turned it over a little bit, and I like Green Bay's defense. I, I just don't – I don't see how they're stopping Aaron Rodgers. To me, I think Green Bay wins by seven easy. Now, Atlanta might jump out and have a, de- a decent lead, but right now the way Green Bay's running the ball as well as the way they're throwing, the, the, they're playing true complement offense and w- with a very good defense who can get after the passer – I don't know if Julio Jones, who was banged up a little bit, is going to play. Did, do, do you know the, the deal on that? Questionable. He's questionable. questionable. He's on my fantasy team, up. so I've been keeping an eye on that. My lock of the week is Green Bay in the Sunday nighter. Actually, that's Monday. It's night. a Monday night game. I Yeah. I'll, so, I'll, I'll, we'll say, you know what? Let's do this. Let's save that. Okay. And just because you don't like the Rams and you've been on a – I'm a cooler right now. Been on the snide. I'm going to go with the Rams. Okay, laying 13, and then we'll talk about Monday because I I I failed to mention that I think I'm going to give out Atlanta plus the points on Monday night, but I want to wait until Monday to do it because I don't feel good about giving out Atlanta. Uh, That line should be more. It should be more, but Atlanta because they're so capable of scoring. um, You know. Whenever you bet a big dog, and you know, in this day and age of, of NFL football, you know, anything seven or, or, or higher than seven is is a sizable, you know, favorite. And if you're taking the points and you're taking the underdog, one of the things you always want to know when you're taking a bigger dog is that they have the capability of scoring points. And so that's why, you know, you'd feel safer with Atlanta and not feel good about the Giants, even though the Giants are a big anti-public play, and you're going against that. But, you know, betting the Giants this week, you know, on a like on a contrarian uh, on a contrarian wager, it's painful because they can't score. And you just whenever you take those big teams, you'd much rather have the big team that can't stop but stop somebody but is totally capable of hanging 28 on the board. Because then the other team in a big, you know, 10-point-plus thing's got to, you know, they're going to score 38-plus, and, and you always have a chance. I, by the way, I have something for you right after um, a word from a sponsor that I want to share with you, and we'll give our predictions on the on the Washington game as well. But it deals with over-under numbers this week. Uh, we'll do that and finish up the show right after this word from a sponsor. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we'll give you um, our Washington-Baltimore prediction here in a moment. But I can't remember if I said this to you on Wednesday or I said it to Tommy yesterday, I forget. But I mentioned that the over-unders this week, um, earlier in the week, I just, in looking at the initial lines, I, I said, this may be the highest number 
of 55-plus over-unders in NFL history in a weekend. I've never seen it before. And and I made the comment that this could be, in aggregate, the highest over-under number for all of these games in NFL history. And, and I've been looking for the data on this, and I just found it. Here it is from ESPN from earlier this morning, from ESPN Stats and Info, um, that the average over-under in week four right now is around 50. That would be the highest average weekly over-under in the past 35 seasons. So um, I, I, I knew intuitively that it was just too many numbers that were 54, 55 and higher. And there were other numbers that were already over 50 that it just seemed like I just don't, I didn't feel like I had ever seen it. The, the lowest over under number of the weekend was last night at 41 and it sailed over. You know, 37-28, you know, you, you had a 65-point game in a 41-over-under number. Um, but, you know, the games that are super high this week, Detroit-New Orleans is at 54-and-a-half right now. I'm looking at it. It was at 55. Um you had uh, you've got Minnesota Houston. It's at fifty four now. That was also at fifty five. Seattle Miami's at fifty five and a half. That uh, fifty four and a half. That was at fifty five. Uh, Dallas Cleveland's fifty six. New England KC was actually higher than this earlier in the week. They're at fifty three now. Green Bay Atlanta's at fifty six and a half. I haven't even mentioned uh, Buffalo Vegas at fifty two and a half. Um, Arizona, Carolina at 51. These are college, you know, over under numbers. You're not in the sixties right now, but they're just outrageously high. Um, so you have that, uh, and Cooley, you know, scoring is up by an average of 5.4 yards per game. Did I talk to you about this already? Or is this a new conversation? Not discuss this. Okay. So uh, a lot of people were posting the following as a reason. They said, well, penalties are down. Well, penalties being down don't necessarily mean or lead to increased scoring. In fact, when you get fewer penalties, typically you get faster moving games and sometimes fewer snaps, which actually more times than not would lead to a lower scoring game. Now, it depends on what the penalties are, right? If yeah. there's more PI and there's there's more PI this year, DPI, defensive pass interference, but there's much less defensive Offensive holding, but anyway, here's the reason. There's much less offensive holding, which would change scores. Which would allow uh, offenses, yes, to move the ball more. Um, but at the same time, the clock's not stopping on a lot of these plays, and it's rolling, and so it's creating a faster game. Aaron Rodgers was on um, Mad Dog Radio on Tuesday. He makes a weekly appearance on the Pat McAfee show. A.J. Hawks on that show, a former teammate of Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers, I was listening to it on Tuesday, and Rodgers said the following. He said, it's really weird, man, and it's a lot easier offensively this year without fans in the stands. Oh, yeah. He said, playing in Minnesota in, in week one and playing in New Orleans last Sunday night, it was just a massive difference in operating our offense. And he, he said, the reason scoring's up more than any other reason is no fans. And the fans help defense. They don't help offense. They help the defense. They hurt the offense when you're on the road. And that was his reason for it. No, I would understand that completely, which is why – I like Washington even less because there is going to be way less Baltimore fans in the stadium. 
And yeah, I know where the game's being played. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's give a final score prediction with maybe a footnote if you have one. My final score prediction is Baltimore 31, Washington 16. Three field goals and a touchdown for the Washington football team. I think that Baltimore's too much early. They jump out to an early lead like teams have done against Washington. And it's not – and you're thinking about watching other games at 1 o'clock. I've got Baltimore 27, Washington 17. And the footnote here is that a very good defensive coordinator, Don Martindale, um, in, uh, in Baltimore, um, really confuses a quarterback making his 11th start and that the conversation next week is once again on Dwayne. Now, they score 17 points, and he has a couple of drives here and there, but ultimately he doesn't do enough, and he'll probably make a mistake or two, and we're having this conversation again. And by the way, in a different context now after what Ron Rivera and or what was leaked to J.P. Finley about you know, perhaps um, you know, he better get his act in order or a change could be more imminent than maybe we thought. Uh, in previous days, um, twenty-seven seventeen. I I'm gonna take the uh, take the home team on the cover. It might be a backdoor cover. It might be a late Dwayne to Inman. You know, with 13 seconds left to make it twenty-seven seventeen. They gotta they gotta. And you're betting on Rivera. Keep he's gonna keep playing this week. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Uh, have a good weekend, everybody. Cooley, thanks. We'll be back Monday to recap the game. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.